1: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at FisherHomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hello, e Especially our West Coast family, we have an announcement for you.
2: Elevation Nights 2022 West Coast! Are you ready for this? October 25th through November 3rd. We're coming your way. We're
1: so excited. You can
2: get your tickets right now at elevationnights.com. It's gonna be me, Holly, Elevation Worship.
1: It's gonna be amazing.
2: Unbelievable these you nights. don't wanna miss. So if you're in Glendale, Arizona.
1: Las Vegas.
2: Sacramento, California.
1: Eugene, Oregon. Seattle. Oakland, California.
2: San Diego.
1: And L.A.
2: Or anywhere near those areas. We want to see you. ElevationNights.com. Don't miss it. ElevationNights.com. Get your tickets. ElevationNights.com. We'll see you there. Let's go to the message.
0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. This is the day the Lord hath made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. God, we honor you and we bless you. We thank you afresh. Would you move in this place by your might, by your power? spirit of the living God fall fresh on us even now and we give you glory we give you honor and we give you praise amen come on shout hallelujah to his name praise the Lord what a blessing it is to be here with you today and we thank God for Jesus Of course, uh, as you can see, I am not Pastor Stephen Furtick, and so I apologize for those who've driven afar to be here, but God is here. We're going to worship God together, and we're going to praise the Lord together. Won't you join me in saluting one of the most incredible leaders, communicators, proclaimers, songwriters, my brother, Pastor Stephen Furtick. Come on, praise God for him. And while you're clapping for him, praise God for Pastor Holly as well to god be the glory what a pleasure it is to be here i want you to do my favor right quick just lift your right hand up right quick move it down right hand up move it down okay good i feel better now that way nobody can leave her saying that the the preacher didn't move me so uh so we give god praise but i want you to get your bibles and we're going to jump quick into the word of god i want to look at the book of romans chapter 12 a very familiar passage of scripture that I want to share with you. I want to thank the praise team for just um, uh, just. my God, the music ministry, for confirming the message. A very familiar passage, Romans 12, 1, you find these words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then Romans eleven thirty six is our key verse. It reads, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. For of him, through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. I want you to consider this thought this morning very simply, giving God the glory. Let's give God the glory. You may be sitting in presence of the Lord. Let's give God the glory. My Elevation family, I shall never forget one of my most recent birthdays. Uh, It is nostalgic for me, even now because this was the last birthday that all of my siblings and I spent together um, prior to the death of my baby brother some years ago and my sister a few years ago my two older sisters and my two younger brothers and I were gathered at my oldest sister's home in honor of my birthday. And when I arrived at my oldest sister's home, I was met by my older sister at the front door. And she met me with some intriguing words. She said, brother, I said, yes. She said, I did not get you a gift this year for your birthday. And I got to admit, I was a little taken aback, uh, particularly because I had just purchased her a gift for her birthday, you know. And so brother wanted some sense of reciprocity. And so I began to inquire as to why she decided to not get me a gift. And she said something that intrigued me. She said, I didn't get you a gift this year. I said, why? She said, because I was struggling with something. It's okay. Well, what were you struggling with? She said, I was struggling with this. What do you give to somebody who seemingly has everything? And uh, and I knew she wasn't struggling. She was just being trifling. So I responded. (laughs) Uh, with my own sense of facetiousness, what do you give to somebody who seemingly has everything? Uh, you give them some more of what you think they seemingly have. <laughs> Pretty good answer, would you say? And it was right there in that context that God sent me a fax straight from the Holy Ghost fax machine of heaven. And I thought about another relationship that I have, but more specifically the relationship that we all share with the God who is sovereign. Because in light of my sister's question slash statement, what do you give to somebody who seemingly has everything? I hear Paul say to us this morning that you and I ought to give God the glory, Uh, that we ought to give God the glory. But right there, my sister's question statement comes to bear, because how can we as fallible and finite creatures give God anything that God does not already possess? I mean, can we give God glory when the psalmist calls him the king of glory? Paul refers to Christ as the hope of glory. Another epistle writer refers to God as the God of all glory. So how can we really give God glory? If God is already king of glory, Christ is the hope of glory, and God is the God of all. What can we give to God who does not seemingly own everything, but who actually already owns everything. And I thought about God in creation because God in creation knew that at times he would have periodic needs. So what did God do? God knew at times that he would need a word presented, a word. And so God created an archangel whose name was Gabriel. Gabriel was the word angel. Whenever God wanted to bring a word to his people, often he would use Gabriel the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, when he wanted to announce the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem of Judea, he sent Gabriel to Mary to make that heavenly annunciation. Why? Because whenever God wanted a word, he would use Gabriel. The book of 1 Thessalonians tells us that when chapter 4, when Christ comes back in the rapture, Paul says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Scholars believe that voice would be the voice of Gabriel signifying the return of the Lord Jesus. Because whenever God wanted a word, he would use Gabriel. But then God also knew at times that he would need warfare, warfare. So God created an archangel whose name was Michael. Can the church say Michael? And Michael is the warfare angel. The book of Jude chapter one tells us that when Moses died, there was a battle for the physical remains of Moses. That battle was between the devil and his angels and Michael and the warfare angels from heaven. Michael and his angels won that battle, took the body of Moses and buried the body in a place where only God is aware of. Why? Because whenever God wanted a word, he'd use Gabriel. When God wanted warfare, he'd use Michael. In the book of Daniel chapter 10, it tells us that Daniel prayed to God for instructions and for direction. And for 21 days, for three weeks, Daniel was waiting to hear from God. And three weeks after his prayer, Gabriel showed up. And Gabriel says, Daniel, from the first time you prayed, Daniel ten fourteen, from the first time you prayed, God heard your prayer. And God dispatched me, Gabriel, from heaven to bring you your answer. He says, but I was withstood from some demonic forces around the region of Persia. And I couldn't bring you your answer because Satan's chief demons in the Persian region had me uh, held and bound. So God sent Michael, the warfare angel, from heaven to engage in combat, to release me to bring you your answer. Here's why. Because whenever God wanted a word, often God would use Gabriel. And when God wanted warfare, God would use Michael. But then God also knew at times that he would need worship. And so God created the archangel whose name was Lucifer. And Lucifer was over the praise, worship, and music departments of heaven. But then Lucifer wanted to be like God. And instead of glorifying God, Lucifer wanted to be worshipped. And God had to evict Lucifer from the heavenlies. Luke says that he, he fell as lightning from heaven. And when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, God never replaced him with one individual who'd be responsible for worship. Because of that, John chapter 4 says that the Father is seeking worshipers who would worship God in spirit and in truth. And here is was the reality. Gabriel is still bringing forth the word. Michael is still involved in warfare. But no single person is responsible for worship. And since the father is seeking worshipers, this is the primary reason why the enemy hates you and I whenever we praise God. Because whenever we worship God, we literally remind the devil of the job that he got fired from. And I wish I had somebody around Elevation Church who just take a moment and help me make the devil mad for a minute. I mean, every time you clap your hands, you make the devil mad. Every time you shout hallelujah, you're making the devil mad. Come on, say, so don't get mad at us. We will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually be in our mouths. Listen, and see, here's the reality. Paul says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be Glory. That word glory there in the Greek is the word doxa. It means a place of preeminence. It means reverential adoration. It means to make God an audience of one. Because up in the heavens do the cherubims and seraphims bow 24 hours a day in perpetual obeisance to our God who sits on the throne. And the only time when God is most comfortable in the earth is when we, cre- when we create environments that remind God of what he's accustomed to in the heavenlies. That's why the scriptures teach us that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so Paul says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever, amen. Literally this passage in the Greek manuscripts, there were no chapters. It was one continuous flow. And so what Paul says is God deserves to be worshipped. And since God deserves to be worshiped, I beseech you, therefore, my beloved brethren. That word beseech there in the Greek is the word parakaleo. Para meaning alongside, the verb kaleo meaning to call. It is a military summons, parakaleo, beseech. In the first century world, whenever those generals were preparing for battle, they would issue a parakaleo. For every soldier to come and to engage in combat. Here Paul uses a military term to call those of us who are soldiers of the Lord Jesus to engage in worship to our God, our warfare that is not carnal. And God says through Paul that if God is going to be glorified, because sometimes I think we've created uh, different identities for what really brings glory. And unfortunately, sometimes I believe that the things that we think glorify God may not actually bring glory to God. So Paul says, if you and I want to give God authentic glory, is right here. I beseech you, therefore, my beloved brethren, by the mercies of God, it is that ye present your bodies, your soma, your essence, all of who you are unto God. And so the first thing that glorifies God, get this, it, it is the upward presentation. Can somebody say the upward presentation? I present, we present everything we are, everything we have as a vertical act of reverence to God who sits on the throne. And Paul says, here's why we should do this. God deserves the upward presentation. Here it is, because we are responding to God's mercies. It is an amazing passage. He says, I beseech you therefore, my beloved brethren, here it is, by the mercies of God. I'm urging you. I'm compelling you. I am imploring you to give God an upward gift, an upward presentation. Why? He says, you're responding to the mercies of God. Now, this is what blew my mind because all my life I thought it was, I thought it was mercy. So we say things like, Lord, have mercy. Paul says, no, it's really not mercy. Mercy is really plural. The Greek word there connotes plurality. That's why it says mercies of God. Not just one, but it is plural, mercies of God. Paul says, it is not singular mercy because God is too inexhaustible to be relegated by singularity. It is not mercy. It is mercies, meaning anything that God has deliberately withheld from each of us that we rightly deserved. It is a type of mercy. It is one of God's mercies. Anything that God has deliberately and intentionally withheld from us that we deserved is one of his mercies. Okay, let me come this way. Perhaps there are some of you who were in town for the football game yesterday, the HBCU Classic, and maybe some of you remember back in your college days, 25 or 30 years ago at North Carolina Central, a and or Duke, or at, at Davidson, or at North Carolina State, or the University of North Carolina. Some of you remember uh, some of your college days before you'd be in church at 9.30 on a Sunday morning, uh, before you had given your life to God. Some of us, football season, we have we have gone out on Saturday and all day long watching the game, and some of us would have imbibed on some beverages uh, that were not necessarily Kool-Aid, iced tea, or communion. Come on, talk to me, somebody. Somebody remembers back in your BC days, your before Christ days, perhaps you consumed some things that you should not have consumed. And if you're not careful, you could have consumed too much of what you should not have been consuming in your college days. And even in your inebriation. And in your intoxication, when you got behind a wheel of an automobile, somehow some way, in spite of our irresponsibility, God allows you to get back to your dorm room or your apartment safely. Uh, You didn't get a vehicular homicide or a DUI. Can I tell you what it was? It was not because you were a coherent driver. It is not because of the dexterity of your senses. The only reason you made it back safely in your inebriation and your irresponsibility is because God gave you a drunk mercy. (laughs) Am I talking to somebody who can look back over your life and testify, I've been there, done that, but I'm thankful for his mercy? Okay. Uh, all right, maybe you've never had alcohol before, but maybe in 1985 when you were in love with Charlie or Junebug, you remember him. He had the crew cut or the jerry curl and, uh, and, and wore the members only jacket and the Jordache jeans and you fell in love with Charlie or Junebug, but he left your heart when he married Melissa or Faye May Quisha. and you thought your life was over. You thought the sun rose and sat on them, but you went back to your 35th class reunion and the first person you saw was Charlie or Junebug and they had that same crew cut jerry curl, Mimazoli only jacket Jordache jeans with three teeth in their mouths and one of them was gold and you lift your hands right in the class reunion and say Lord I thank you for a breakup mercy I thank you for the things that you have provided and prevented. And am I talking to somebody who can look back over your life and see stuff God has kept you from? You all give God the upward presentation and give God glory. Hallelujah. And so Paul says here that this upward presentation that you're responding to his mercies. And then Paul says, it is a reasonable mandate. I beseech you therefore, my beloved brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That is interesting. I need to dig there for a moment. That word living is the word zao in Greek, where we get the word zoology from. Zaothusea, living. Zaothuseia, living sacrifice. Now this is very, very interesting because uh, they brought... In the first century, uh, in, in the Old Testament, what the Greeks would have called to God, the Akapakthisko which is a dead sacrifice. Some of you remember in the book of Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham, Abraham, take your son Isaac up on Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice unto God. Abraham gets his son, Isaac. They go up on Mount Moriah. He builds the altar. He has a knife. He has the wood, he has the dagger. He gets ready to kill his son, to offer him as the Akpathisko Thusea unto Jehovah. And right before he gets ready to kill his son, to offer him as a dead sacrifice, God speaks to him and says, Abraham, lay no hand on the lad. Look in the thicket, there's a ram there. Release your son and get the ram, the lamb to offer the lamb, the ram as a sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, God only accepted dead sacrifices. In the book of Exodus, God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. God sends 10 plagues and then God speaks to him and say, tell the people in Egypt that they should get a lamb, kill the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost." Because this night in Egypt, the death angel is coming through Egypt and if the blood of the lamb has not been applied to the doorpost, the death angel will go into that home to kill the firstborn. Because in the Old Testament, they had to bring unto God pigeons, turtles, you lambs for the priest to kill, to apply the blood to offer as an a dead sacrifice unto God. In the Old Testament, they had to bring dead sacrifices. But Paul says in this text that since we no longer live by a legalistic milieu, that since we no longer live under the law, that God doesn't deserve a dead sacrifice. And ak through fisco Paul says, God wants a za'o thusea, a living sacrifice. And I don't know about you, But when God rode by this morning in his golden chariot, chauffeured by the invisible winds and dispatched his darling angels to touch our bodies with the finger of love, In our eyes, I think he came open to greet the virgin light of a brand new day. We rest under the canopy of God's benevolence, favor, and grace. And since you and I are alive today, how dare us enter into this beautiful place or watch online and give God a dead sacrifice? God deserves a life Worship and alive praise and live glory to God. Live giving, live service, live praise. The Bible says let everything that hath breath, which means you're alive, praise ye the Lord. And, dip, and do me a favor. When you come to worship, get here in time enough to make sure you're seated by the right people. And here's how you know if you're seated by the right people. Just get on your row and holler at your row. And if you holler at your row and nobody hollers back, that's the wrong row to sit on. No, when you come to worship, you ought to look at somebody and say, Holly! If they don't, if they don't say hallelujah find somebody else to sit by cuz you want to be beside somebody who has some life and has some energy and some praise is there anybody in this place who came to give God a live worship a living sacrifice nothing dead but a living sacrifice hallelujah and so and so the upward the upward presentation It's you're responding to his mercies. It's the least that you and I, it's a, it's a reasonable service, a reasonable worship. Then Paul says, listen, once we give God the upward presentation, secondly, in order to glorify God, listen, he says, go backwards from conformation, say backwards from conformation, not confirmation, conformation. Conformation. Listen what he says in verse two, and be not conformed. He says, don't assimilate. Don't fashion yourselves into the ion, which is the spirit of the world. A very powerful passage, because at the time of the first century, Rome was considered to be the citadel of the Caesars. Rome was the darling of the human race. When Paul wrote in the first century, Rome was at home of Claudius and Caligula of Nero and Tiberius. It was a place where barbarity was celebrated. It was the darling of the whole world. And Paul's ultimate desire was to get to Rome because it was the citadel, it was the darling, it was the empire. But there were some believers who had moved into Rome, uh, but Rome had historically been paganistic and pantheistic and polytheistic and the message of Christ, Paul wanted that to be paramount in Rome. But the challenge was this, When believers had begun to develop and grow in Rome, the spirit of the age was so intense that you couldn't demarcate between the saints in Rome versus the ain'ts in Rome. (laughs) Paul was saying that many of the believers had been affected by this Roman spirit that did not prioritize Christ. It was about the empire and power and greed and selfishness. And Paul says, in order to glorify God, don't conform to what's happening in the world. All the craziness that you see around you, don't ever allow those things to become your reality. And uh, let me share with you, I believe this passage is incredibly relevant. Because even now, there is a spirit in this age that has troubled my spirit It's kept me up at night, a spirit of the age that's destroying relationships and causing people to fall out. It is a spirit of political divisiveness and ideology and a spirit of separation and a spirit of division. You can't even watch the news now without uh, ending up being nauseous and having a headache. So much hatred in the world. Christians, believers, black and white, and uh, uh, Church of God versus baptism It seems that we can't get along because the spirit of this age has made so many prioritized politics, Over the kingdom of God. Let me share with you, brothers and sisters. We should vote our political perspectives. We should vote our convictions. We should vote and promote our beliefs. We should be civically engaged. But we should never believe that the hope of our world is based upon whether you are part of a party that's represented by an elephant or a donkey. The hope of our world is not an elephant or a donkey, but a lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The hope of our faith is in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And my hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus' blood and his righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid
2: rock I stand all of the ground.
0: Our kingdom is not of this world. We're going to a place where well, we won't we won't need politics again. We have a, a God who's going to bring us together of every kindred every tribe and that's why I love Pastor Stephen Holly Furtick that's why I love the Elevation Church because you have made God and Christ listen look around this is what heaven is supposed to look like Uh, not about division and separation but about believers of every kindred every tribe coming together to glorify our great God give him praise and give him glory You know, the spirit of this age—it's a spirit that if you're not careful, it can depress you. Oh goodness! A few months ago, I went and and uh, filled up. Uh, my family loves utility vehicles, and I have boys and and, uh, and and their mom. My wife is a teen mother, and so we always carry a lot of kids. You know, for basketball games, and and I went to fill up the utility vehicle, and uh, as I was at the pump, and and it hit ninety, and. Then it hit 100 and 110, 120, 130. I was confused. I didn't know whether to pray or cuss or to kick the pump. I was just just frustrated. I was having a moment. And right there, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, instead of you complaining, be thankful that you have $130 on a debit card. That was a time this machine would have eaten your card. And here's what I want you to know, no matter what happens in the economy, no matter what happens with inflation, no matter what happens with gas prices or food prices, I want you to know something. Don't let the spirit of anxiety and depression overwhelm you. You know why? Because we're not going to conform to anxiety and depression. You know why? Because the scriptures teach us, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God is going to take care of you regardless of who's in the White House. Does anybody believe we have a God who takes care of us? Do you believe we have a God who supplies our needs? Come on and give God praise and give him glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we have to give God the upward presentation. Then we go backwards from conformation. Don't let the spirit of the age overwhelm you. But then, after the upward presentation and backwards from conformation, thirdly, Paul says, in order to glorify God, there needs to be the inward transformation. I say the inward, say inward transformation. It's right here and be not conformed to this world. But, listen, but be transformed. That word in Greek is the word we get metamorphosis from. The word renewing is where we get the word renovation from. It's in the present perfect imperative in Greek, which means it's a continuous action. What it literally says is every day your mind and my mind must be in a constant state of renovation and metamorphosis. It's a beautiful picture. It's really a picture of a house. When a house gets old, it's subject to dilapidation, Uh, termites, asbestos, other issues periodically would cause us to have to renovate. House has to go through metamorphosis. Paul says the mind is analogous to an old house. There are treacherous termites, adversarial asbestos that can get into your mind And if you're not careful, it can strip your mind of everything that's powerful, of everything that's stable. So the mind has to be renovated. Reminds me of Solomon in Proverbs 23, 7. Very interesting. Paul Solomon says this. For as a man thinketh, in his heart, so is he. Now... In Hebrew, Paul is trying to show how, Solomon is trying to show how the head and heart are one singular entity. So etymologically, he's saying head and heart one entity. As a person thinks in their hearts, head and heart are together in the Hebrew language. It's one. But in the English or in the biological, that's an impossibility. What do you mean? As a person thinks in their hearts, that's biologically impossible. Why? Because the heart doesn't think. How can you think in your heart? The purpose of the heart, scientifically, is to pump blood. Scientifically, biologically, our hearts don't think. All thinking is in the cerebrum, the cerebral cortex, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the pineal gland, the medulla oblongata. Scientifically, all thought starts here. So what really is Solomon saying in Proverbs 23, 7? Here's what he's saying. Very important. As a person thinks psychologically, in their hearts, cardiologically, so is he or she anthropologically. As a person thinks, that's your psychology. That's where it begins. In your heart, cardiologically, that's how we behave. So is he, anthropologically, that's what we become. As a person thinks, that's where it begins. In their hearts, that's how we behave. So is he or she, that's what we become. So we become, inevitably, what has existed in our mind. That's why Descartes put it this way, cogito ergo soon. I think, therefore I am. And so the battle for us is not for your finances or your, or your family, it's for your mind. Because if the enemy can hit your mind, he's got you. If you have mess constantly on your mind, eventually you and I will become messy. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, okay, okay, let me come this way. All right. 2 Corinthians 10:4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and bringing into captivity every thought. Paul says, You better put some handcuffs on your thoughts. Every child of God needs to keep some handcuffs constantly on them. And that's not For you, married people, that's not what I'm talking about. Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm I'm, I'm talking about handcuffs to put them on your thoughts, because if your thoughts run loose, you have to handcuff and arrest your thoughts and say, "You will not run through my mind and drive me insane." I'm going to put handcuffs on my thoughts. This is what he said in Philippians chapter four. He says, uh, "For whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are honest, if there be any virtue." If that be any praise, think on these things and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your he says peace then if your thoughts are right peace becomes a a military guard and stands in front of your mind to prevent anything that's diabolic from getting into your mind Isaiah 26 3 says for if we keep our minds stayed on him he'll keep us in perfect peace when I grew up in Georgia the old people would sing a song, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. you got to declare to the enemy, you will not have my mind. I will focus my mind and my thoughts and my affections. Let me share something very personal with you. Five years ago, I went through the the, the most, six years ago, I went through the most traumatic season of my life. Here's what happened. One week, My godmother died. I was expecting that. The next week, my mother died and didn't tell me she was leaving. Three days after my mother died, my best friend from college died. Literally one hour after he helped me plan my mother's funeral, he had a massive heart attack. Three weeks after my mother died, my sister died. So I want you to just imagine planning four funerals, Picking out four caskets and having to deliver four eulogies for the closest people in my life in less than 30 days. Five days after burying my sister, my brother had a massive stroke. And the doctor said it's because of something that's called broken heart syndrome. I never knew broken heart syndrome. Here I am, the man of faith. Here I am, the preacher, the man of God. Here I'm the one who's always comedic, always a clown, always joking. Here I'm I'm the one who always is hopeful. And yet, there's no hope. I, I couldn't even read the word of God. I couldn't even, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear people tell me, your mother's in a better place. I, want, I wanted to literally go taekwondo on anybody who told me, she's in a better place, don't cry. I know she's in a better place. I'm not hurt because of where she is. I'm hurting because of where she's not. Please miss me with that before I chop you right in your throat. I was so discouraged. I, I was so depressed. I was so stressed. I couldn't get out of bed. I shut my calendar down. They said, pastor, when you come back to preach, I said, never weary. I didn't know if I'd ever preach again. I, I was just so broken. I was so broken. To this very day, my family, I still have m- my mother's messages on my phone. I, I, don't, I, I, I would never delete them. I just, every now and then, I just want to hear a voice. And I just, just, it's an old message. I just will play it just to hear a voice. And I, I had to eventually go and get therapy. It took me about 18 months to kind of find some sense of balance. And I'm still not where I want to be now. Mother's Day, I cry all day. My mother's birthday, I'm sick. I know she's in heaven. Holidays don't quite feel the same. And, 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 and now I understand that grief is the price that I pay for love. But I was so broken, so disheveled, so uh, discombobulated and didn't know what I was going to do. And the enemy kept telling me, You pray for so many other people. You've seen God perform miracles for others. Why, why didn't he do it for you? Will people believe in faith in you? I was so hurt. And do me a favor, do me a favor before you criticize me for my vulnerability. Don't you ever criticize a person's steps if you haven't walked in their shoes? Uh, I I was just I was just broken. I I, I really was. I, I I'd never been that broken in my entire life. But you know what? I've begun to get back out and preach the word of God. Stop traveling because I just didn't feel the sense. The, the enemy had me to believe. Uh that is 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 there any efficacy in your preaching? But you know why I'm here? Because when I got to Charlotte. When I came to Charlotte today, my goodness, and got to Elevation Church today, I understand this. I am thankful that in my worst season of my life, God kept my mind. Oh, yes. God and has transformed and is transforming my mind am I talking to anybody who's gone through something that's been so traumatic that you thought you would put your shoes on your hands and your socks on your head but somehow today you in worship today giving God the glory because in the worst moments of your life we serve a God who can renew and who can keep your mind. Y'all got to excuse me I feel the Holy Ghost right here. Can I tell you something? Some of you shot over money, cars, cash, clothes, and creature comforts. This morning, I want to thank God. I only have five reasons to thank God. Can I give you my quick five reasons why I want to thank God? Number one, he kept my mind. Number two, he kept my mind. Number three, he kept my mind. Number four, he kept my mind. Number five, He kept my mind. Is he keeping your mind? Has he kept your mind? Come on and give him your best praise and glory. Listen. And so, let him transform. Let him transform your mind. Let him make your mind new. And Jesus, listen, so I got one more thing to tell you. Please take your seats. One more thing to tell you. Hallelujah. If you're going to glorify God, upward presentation, backwards from confirmation, inward transformation, But fourthly And finally, if we're going to glorify God, that must be the outward demonstration. I'm, I'm done. Somebody say outward demonstration. Verse two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word, that's prove, is interesting because it's translated from two perspectives. I want you to prove. That's verb, verb, the verb form, prove to to do it actively, pursue it, to ascertain the will of God. E groups, you're proving the will. Bible study, proving the will. Worship. We actively prove the will, but many commentators suggest that the best uh, understanding of this is not in the verb form of prove, but the noun form. What, what What do you mean? Verb, you go and do it. Verb, you go and prove it. Noun, you become proof of it. So once we have proven the will, now we become proof of what His will is. Okay, let me let me close by giving you this story. There's a man in, in uh, California. His name is Michael Niedow. N e d o w. He is a uh, he is a, an attorney, a physician, and also a minister in some a former minister in some group. Well, now he's an atheist, and he filed litigation against the Ninth District in California. Uh, because as an atheist, he felt that his daughter, who's in public school, was subjected to the clause One Nation Under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. He sued the local ninth districts in California, and he won. He won because they said the word God in a public, publicly funded institution is a violation of his, his constitutional rights. He won. The only reason uh, that it did not change was because it has federal implications because public schools receive federal dollars. They went to the Supreme Court about this. And the Supreme Court agreed some years ago with his, with his claim. The only reason they didn't make changes at that time, they said, was because he didn't have legal custody of his daughter. But what he says now, he's going back to get some more atheists like him. They're going back to the Supreme Court to delete one nation under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. Then once he does that, he says, he's going after currency, after money. Your dollar bill has on the back of it, in God we trust. So why would the government produce something that has God if there's a separation between God and government? And somebody interviewed this clown, I mean, interviewed this fool, I mean, (laughs) interviewed this man. Excuse me. And, and, and they ask him, why is he so adamant about getting rid of God? And here, Here's what he said. He said, I am upset with the faith community because if God is who they say he is, here's my problem. Where's the proof? You can't empirically observe him. You can't put him on a crucible of experimentation and investigation. Can't observe Him with the five senses. He says, if anybody who's a believer can offer me proof that this God is who you say he is, then maybe I'll stop. But I will not stop until I get proof. I thought about something this morning. Maybe I'll go to East Atlanta and get some of my saved cousins who still got some hood in them. And you guys go throughout Mecklenburg County, and those of you who can be hood and holy simultaneously, and we all dress up in some black garments with black bandanas around our heads. And when that court case convenes, we bust up in that Supreme Court courtroom, say, hey, sir, we heard that you were looking for some proof that God is who God says God is. Sir, if you need some proof, You know what? I got an idea. When I was in undergrad, I was in pre-law. And in pre-law, we would have mock trials to prepare us for courtroom. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want today, I want us to have a mock trial to prepare for them that court case is going to convene. I want you to imagine with me as I close that God is on trial. The cherubims are the justices. The 12 tribes of Israel are the jurors. Uh, God is uh, the defendant. Mr. Needow is the plaintiff. Uh, I was trying to get somebody to come with me today and represent God, but nobody was available. So if you allow me, I'm going to represent God. I'm going to be God's defense attorney. Just imagine this with me. And today we're in a courtroom. We're not in elevation, we're in the courtroom in D.C. And we're, we're going to that courtroom and they have accused my client, God, of being a fictitious, abstract, metaphysical ambiguity, they have accused my God of not being real. I'm going to defend him, but I can't defend him without any evidence, any proof. So, in a moment when they call for me, I'm going to offer to evidence five exhibits. And if these exhibits fit you, I want you to stand, remain standing, and shout as loud as you can. I'm proof. I'm evidence. Are y'all ready? All right. Court attendant says, "Who? I am E. Dewey Smith, and I and I brought some evidence with me from Charlotte, North Carolina." Your honors, let me offer into evidence exhibits A through E. They will authenticate that my client is guilty of being God. Your honors, let me offer the evidence exhibit A. Yes, exhibit A. These are the people who've had ailments before. They've been sick in their bodies, but my client was Jehovah Rophi. My client was Jehovah Rophika and healed their bodies. I need exhibit A to stand. Exhibit A to stand and shout, I'm proof. Keep standing, I'm evidence. Exhibit B, Your Honor, these are the people who've been broke before, they didn't have any money, but my client was Jehovah Jireh. I did Exhibit B to stand and shout, I'm proof. Exhibit C, these are the people who should have been crazy by now, but my client kept them in their right mind. I did Exhibit C to shout, I'm proof. Exhibit D. These are the people who've been depressed. They go through divorce, death, and devastation, but they can testify. Can't nobody do me like Jesus? Exhibit E, Your Honor. These are the ones who've had enemies, but they can testify. If God be for you, who can be against you? Now, do me one favor. Look at a neighbor. Say neighbor. Just in case you want to see somebody who is proof and who wants to give God glory, look no further. Look at me. I am a living testimony. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes.
2: Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today at elevationchurch.org slash give. And thanks again for joining us on the Elevation Podcast. information.